Hello, friends, and welcome to this special edition of Fence Lines and Headlines here on the Western Ag Network online Northland, joined by Russell Nimitz. And uh, Russell and I are here in Pendleton, Oregon, and we are just a few days shy of the Pendleton Roundup. We're heading back home. About 70,000 plus people will be attending this year's event, but uh, we're on the road this week for the Public Lands Council annual meeting. Yeah, and what a great week it has been joining public lands ranchers from across the West here in Pendleton, Oregon. I must say this is actually my first time in Pendleton, Oregon, and the convention center where we did most of our work was literally just outside yeah. the the, the grounds of the world famous Pendleton Roundup, which you just mentioned, gets underway here in just a short day or so. Well, and obviously our viewers can see the famous Pendleton yeah. Woolen Mills right behind us here. That was probably our second stop after stopping to have lunch and get a beer. But, <laughs> uh, you know, we're here in Pendleton. We, we got to see some of the manufacturing taking place and uh, seeing those uh, the, the famous uh, blankets and all the other trinkets that, that are manufactured, all that American-made wool. We even caught up with some of those producers that grow wool right here, about uh, 60, 70 miles away from here, uh, the Krebses, that yeah. sell their wool to Pendleton for their woolen products. So uh, we thought this would be a great start to our conversation for headlines, uh, fence lines and headlines here today. And you know, we, we have these blue skies uh, today, but uh, when we were leaving home, or we call home in Montana, uh, it was a little smoky and uh, pretty hazardous breathing conditions as well, all from those Canadian wildfires. And Russ, uh, wildfires were a big topic and have been a big topic for ranchers, specifically public lands ranchers who graze on these federal lands with cattle and sheep. And we were able to catch up with one of those ranchers who tragically was uh, really impacted by wildfires in California recently. And he's a great voice for ranchers, but also for forest management as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Ca California cattleman Dave Daly and his family unfortunately lost uh, a lot of uh, a lot of livestock and and a lot of their land in a in a devastating wildfire in in 2020. And here in Pendleton this week, we had the chance to catch up with him and and visit about his recent testimony during that field hearing, which was actually held at Yosemite National Park. And we talked with Dave about his message to those members of Congress on that powerful House Natural Resources Committee. And as you mentioned, how livestock, both cattle and sheep, can really help minimize catastrophic wildfires in the future. Well, unfortunately, wildfires have become an all too common reality these days on our Western landscapes and wildfires were certainly a big topic up for discussion at this year's Public Lands Council annual meeting underway in Pendleton, Oregon. Now joining us is a friend of ours from California, Cattleman Dave Daly, who knows the subject of wildfire inside and out. And before we talk about what you guys talked about here in Pendleton this week, let's talk about a recent field hearing that you participated in back home in California regarding this important topic. It is a challenge. You know, we, we've been dealing with this personally for three years when, when we lost most of our cattle and our, and our public lands and some private lands to a major fire. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty important issue to me and my family. But what I was recently asked to do was testify to the Natural Resources Committee. It was a field hearing in Yosemite National Park. Those of you who have ever seen it, it's a spectacular jewel that needs to be protected. 
but all landscapes need to be thought of the way people think of Yosemite National Park and the difference it made. I appreciated the committee inviting me to there to, to talk about this complex issue. It's not simple, but we all know that we have to have solutions. Four million acres burnt in California two years ago, four million before that, two million last year, 38 million across the Western US. Catastrophic wildfire is something, it doesn't just affect cattlemen, it doesn't just affect public lands users, it's all citizens. And we're seeing in California, I'm sure other states are as well, people starting to lose their insurance, uh, people who, their communities are threatened. I think what we need to do as public lands users and as cattlemen is think about this in a broader context because there's people out there who are just as concerned as we are and that's rapidly changing. We have to do a better job of explaining to them what we need to do on the landscape. So what were some of those examples of doing just that, that you were able to deliver to those members of Congress? I think one of the things we need to do is recognize that we're gonna to have to build coalitions. Cattlemen are gonna take this anywhere. We've gotta to talk to people who are also at risk. And I think some of the things that just happened with the wildfires in Canada, the smoke in the East Coast, the fires we've seen in Kansas and Texas, this is not just a Western problem any longer. As public lands users, we see it the most up close and personal, but it's impacting everyone. So I think we have to build those coalitions and think about how are we gonna reduce fuel loads? Are we going to use prescribed fire as a tool? Are we gonna use thinning? Are we gonna use mastication? I mean, what kinds of programs can we put in place that will protect the landscape? And many of those major catastrophic wildfires start on federal lands. And it's kind of the out of sight, out of mind. Oh, it's not right by my town. It's coming to your town. And so what we have to do is communicate that those solutions, including grazing, are a really powerful tool. We can't stop wildfires with grazing, but we can reduce the intensity. We can give firefighters a chance to work on it. We can actually give communities an opportunity to at least escape. Where in many cases now, in some of these forested areas, that's not even possible. Yeah, that's a scary reality. I think I read in your testimony too, you, you told those members of Congress during that recent field hearing, we can even use the Farm Bill and some of the, the titles within the forestry part of the Farm Bill to help accomplish this and actually get more sheep, get more cattle into our national forests and help avoid these catastrophic wildfires. I think we have a real opportunity. I think people are starting to listen, but as you well know, Washington's a complex landscape. It's not simple to get done what to us might make common sense. I think what we have to do, and I would encourage most of your people who listen to this are gonna be ag producers, we have to reach out to people who don't always think like us, and that's not our strong suit. So we have to find people who get that this is a problem and that we can be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. I mean, we're a little bit out of sight, out of mind, and we like it that way. In this issue, we can't be out of sight, out of mind. We have to be at the forefront of the discussion of being part of the solution for some of these major fires. So what were some of the discussions here in Pendleton this week at the Public Lands Council's annual meeting on wildfire? You actually chair a PLC committee, which this topic was talked about. Yeah, we just finished that committee and we didn't have enough time. Honestly, that is such a complex subject. And one of the things that I think we all forget, including me, is we think about this from the perspective. I'm in the Sierra Nevada mountains with our summer ground forest service. It's a steep uh, conifer forest. I'm crossing sagebrush in Nevada or open rangeland here in Oregon. We all think the solution just fits us. We have to get people to think of this ecosystem specific. There's places prescribed fire is going to work really well. There's places it's very dangerous. There's places we need more cattle and more sheep. What we have to do is get people to realize this is a solution that we can get towards, but I'm afraid we're going to have to push with a concerted voice 
And what we tend to do is want to make enemies of people who don't think like us. Oh, they're extreme environmentalists. Well, sometimes they just, we can be, I think there's a huge opportunity with the indigenous people. I mean, they use fire as tools for millennia, right? Mm -hmm. And if we can say they're part of our coalition, all of a sudden it changes. It's cowboys, I won't say in Indians, it's cowboys and Native Americans together. What a powerful opportunity to say fire is something we need to do differently. You know, talk about the feelings of going through something catastrophic as a wildfire and watching your heart and soul, your family's legacy, just go up in flames. That's a tough one, right? Um, the interesting thing, though, is we lost a lot, but in the same community, the campfire a year before killed almost 100 people. And in my fire, it destroyed a little town of Berry Creek and killed 14 in the fire that I call my personal fire, although it was not mine. And so those things still echo with us. Um, we try and take our camping trip. You camp in the ash and soot because you always did because that's what you're supposed to do. But it's not the same place. It will not be the same landscape. You hope my grandkids will see a landscape that's not so devastating. But at the same time, it's a reminder of resilience you keep going. And I think that that's part of what the ranching community is. You don't have any other choice and you don't really want any other choice. You just figure out how to make it work. And finally, Dave, just all the more reason, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, for agriculture, the livestock industry, and even the environmental community to work together for a common good. I would hope so. I mean, I'm an environmentalist. Don't apologize for it. Say it in a different way and say it with some pride. We care about the environment. We've struggled for a long time about making them the enemy rather than figuring out we're part of the same community. We just come from different viewpoints. Well, let's figure it out. Let's get cattle on the land. Let's do things about fuels management. If we work together as a coalition, we are far more powerful than a single voice. Now, the National Interagency Fire Center actually reports that there's 56 active wildfires burning right now here in the West and beyond impacting lane over 466,000 acres as we speak. And that is certainly why wildfire management remains a top priority uh, now and into the future for the PLC. Well, and you know that 400,000 acres, that, that's quite a bit, but it could be a whole lot oh, worse. Man, we have yeah. a lot of fuel, a lot of grass grew this year. So that is uh, pretty scary to think about all the, the forage that's out there. But again, highlighting the role that cattle and sheep play and helping take down that, uh, that, that, that threat to, that causes these catastrophic fires as well. But uh, again, Dave Daly is such a great advocate for the livestock industry and helping educate people about going through wildfires and uh, also just being a rancher and, and, a, and a community member as well. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of conversations had this week in Pendleton. And just to preview a few more of those, we're gonna catch up with our friend uh, Aaron Tattersall uh, with Ag Risk Advisors here coming up, but uh, also a legend in the ranching community across the West, Mr. Jim McGagna with the Wyoming Stock Growers Association and, and a huge advocate for sheep and cattle grazing and uh, just a, an encyclopedia and a wealth of knowledge. So I look forward to catching up with them here today as well. Yeah, when Jim McGagna speaks, people listen. Yeah, they do. Well, we're going to be back here from Pendleton on Fence Lines and Headlines, but first, these messages from AgRisk Advisors. Ready for a real PRF partner? He was willing to track us for a year and provide that data back to us for a year. That's a guy making a pretty big investment. At AgRisk Advisors, this isn't our first rodeo. 
We are one of the most experienced in pasture rangeland forage. Honesty, commitment, trust. Many companies use these words. At AgRisk Advisors, we earn them. Well, one of the breakout sessions here at this year's Public Lands Council annual meeting here in Pendleton, Oregon, was on risk management solutions for farmers and ranchers. And it was hosted by our friends at AgRisk Advisors and WSR. And joining us now from AgRisk Advisors is their Aaron Tattersall. And Aaron, I poked my head into that breakout session on risk management solutions for farmers and ranchers. It truly was standing room only in there. So obviously, it's a big topic for these attendees uh, here in Pendleton at this year's PLC annual meeting. Talk about what Ag Risk Advisors and WSR covered in that workshop. Well, it was a, you're right, it was a, one of the biggest workshops we had. Um, we, you know, we came in with our PowerPoint and all our, our agenda and all that, and we kind of primed the pump a little bit to get questions going. And once those started going, we just went where where the questions led us. And so um, we talked everything from just things we've been hearing in the field about uh, risk management. Um, uh, I think one thing from the producer standpoint, it's hard to decipher uh, the information they're getting from what they're being, uh, from who's proposing it to them, because it sometimes it um, it might not be accurate. And so our goal was just to, we called it Mythbusters, was kind of cut through the, the BS and just get down to the what the policies actually do and things like that and kind of a safe place for, for guys to answer and uh, people to answer questions or ask questions. Um, and we talked about farm bill information. Uh, we talked about, um, you know, different new programs that were coming up. Uh, even this, this winter there's going to be a new program in, in South Dakota, uh, in the Dakotas and Colorado and Texas as well. So we really just kind of went where they led us and did our best to answer questions. So There were a lot of great questions and rightfully so because, you know, up in just a few years ago, I mean, there really weren't very many uh, risk management tools available to the ranching and, and livestock industry when we think about crop insurance. Traditionally, it's been cereal grains or it's been our row crops, you know, yeah. but when these risk management solutions and tools became available to the livestock industry, they have really become more and more popular, haven't they? And and rightfully so. Yeah, I remember um, 17 years ago showing up at Ranch Gates and <laughs> saying, "I'm Aaron. I'm got this insurance you don't really need. Your grandpa, your dad never had it, and it's it was kind of from the government, subsidized. And so, three strikes against me right away. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's obviously gained momentum uh, since then. And our whole goal is education, and um, we're really interested and making sure producers know how to use the tools that are out there. Even if they don't um, engage in them or have an actual policy, uh, you need to know, you know, you know, you need to take your handyman jack with you and go out to fix fence and your post hole digger, you might not need it. Hopefully you won't have to fit a flat, fix a flat, but at least if you have that tool and some knowledge, your, your day is not gonna be shot. And we feel the same way with risk management. These tools are just designed to even out the ups and downs of the the day-to-day -day, uh, in, in the lives of our producers so 
Well, and, and a couple of the popular tools that I know at least a couple of uh, uh, something about are the Livestock Risk Protection, LRP, and, and of course, uh, pasture, rangeland, and forage. And, uh, you know, we can't really control uh, what Mother Nature does, and we certainly can't really control what the markets are doing. And both of these tools, I mean, can help livestock producers manage their risk a little bit from Mother Nature and the, the uncertainties uh, from the markets. That's right, yeah, you can finally, uh, you know, we call it penciling out the weather finally. You can put a pencil to the weather and, and the rain insurance, the pasture rangeland forage coverage. Um, it's been a pretty good, uh, pretty good year for most of the West. I don't know, we cover a lot of territory and there hasn't been a really devastating dry area. I know there's obviously been pockets and things, but um, a lot of our folks who, who have premium come and do or, you know, I've talked to and they're, um, much more willing to pay this premium than versus the hay bill they had last year. Yeah. You know, so that's the trade-off. And the nice thing about livestock risk protection is uh, it's very flexible for a producer. You can do it on a per head basis. Uh, it's subsidized. It's inexpensive. Um, thankfully, the, the market's been going straight up and we're happy for that, but you can still make a little money on your calves after you pay some insurance, you know, this year. So, and even next year, there's an opportunity to, to lock in um, next year's calf crop with some of the changes they've made in livestock risk protection. So how do producers go about, you know, getting signed up for one of your, uh, you know, your risk management tools that, that are available for the, the livestock industry specifically? Um, so first of all, uh, it's important for us to not pressure producers. We, you know, they can take us for a test drive without any financial commitment. So, and usually a lot of people will do that for a year or two and, uh, and then decide to enroll. But the pasture rangeland forage deadline is December 1st for 2024. You've got to decide your, your coverages by December 1st um, for all of next year. Uh, and then livestock risk protection, um, you can sign up at any time. If you don't have that uh, that policy set up, there's no cost or commitment to have at least a policy. And then if you want to implement some coverages on your calves, um, you can do that later. And that's when the premium comes. So um, we've got uh, PRF advisors. We've got LRP advisors. Uh, they're both educational sites. Uh, I always love to talk to producers, but sometimes that's a... a less painful way to uh, if someone wants to self-serve and, and watch our educational videos on how these programs work that's a great start but as far as signing up yeah just give us a call and we'll need to collect a little information and uh, either come out to see you or figure out a way to connect uh, at some point aaron you mentioned uh some new tools available for uh some select states uh remind us what those states are again and i guess what uh, the new tools you guys will be offering producers in in those areas. Yeah, so the one that's coming out, uh, I believe it's going to be uh, 1st of December deadline for 2024 coverage is something that's called weaned calf risk protection. It's in the only going to be available in the Dakotas, uh, Colorado, Kansas, and Texas, I believe. I might have that off. But it's akin to, the program's akin to um, a corner wheat producer who has a revenue guarantee at, at the first of the year um, when they plant or whenever they plant and then another guarantee 
at harvest. And so there's ways they're doing that through uh, through this wean calf revenue. And so um, it's going to be a, a new a new opportunity, but uh, there's going to be more and more coming out. You know, I think over time, uh, like I said. Um, I had three strikes against me, you know, showing up at ranch gigs a long time ago. But these, <laughs> these, uh, these tools have become more, have gotten a lot more momentum, momentum, uh, a lot more mainstream, and more people are talking about them. So that's only good for the industry. And you know, we were talking last night with some producers. It's, you know, having this risk management portion of their operation figure out really figured out really allows for some create creative space and some time to do other stuff you know these everyone's busy <laughs> it only seems yeah. to get busier so that's our goal at ag risk and wsr as well is just to be that that team player on your bench uh, for these producers to handle the risk management portion of your operation well and i think one of the questions too during the breakout session uh, here in pendleton had to do with the farm bill and of course uh you know holding uh members of congress's feet to the fire as we head into a huge 2024 uh presidential election year and that's making sure we get a farm bill passed sooner and later because you know the crop insurance title does impact what you're trying to do and help serve america's livestock industry that's right when i first started uh this business, uh, someone told me that my job was dependent on the farm bill passing <laughs> because the crop insurance was yeah. part of that. And so, um, but it's been, it's been great. I, I think, unfortunately, the livestock industry is a little bit behind the rest of the commodity groups. Um, and that's understandable. You know, they've never had these tools uh, available, but just stay, I just encourage producers to stay involved with organizations like PLC, with your uh, different ag organizations, your state associations as well, um, cattlemen's and farm bureau, things like that. You've you got these advocacy groups, you know, fighting for you. To um, if we don't have our hat in the ring during those conversations, we're going to get something served to us that we're not too happy with, or or nothing served to us. So, yeah, that is for sure. Uh, hey, before I let you out of the hot seat, anything else uh, you want to pass along to uh, farmers and ranchers uh, in your area of expertise? I think the biggest thing is just uh, understanding your tools, uh, understanding the tools out there. Like I said, you don't have to commit to them. Uh, we're happy to test drive them with you. It's really important for us to make sure that producers are comfortable with what they're getting into. We set the right expectations. Um, and it's so, you know, you're not in the middle of a wreck, you know, when you have to use this. It used to be you could put a hard day's work in and expect to make a profit, but uh, the, these days, um, that's not possible with the markets and weather. And so you really need to have a found, use these tools, these risk management tools as a foundation for your operation to, uh, to make that profit. Well said. Hey, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Russell. Again, we've been visiting with Aaron Tattersall with Ag Risk Advisors. Uh, one of this year's presenters here at the Public Lands Council's annual meeting in Pendleton, Oregon on risk management solutions and tools that are available for America's farmers and ranchers. And for more details and for more information, you can visit them online at agriskadvisors.com. When it comes to the beef business, there's no room for gray area. The decisions being made in Washington affect the future of the beef industry, the livelihood of your fellow farmers and ranchers. 
Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows there's what benefits cattlemen and there's what doesn't. Visit ncba.org to learn more. Welcome back to Fence Lines and Headlines as Lane Nordland and I continue our coverage from here in Pendleton, Oregon, this year's host city of the 55th Annual Public Lands Council Annual Meeting. And Lane, it's always so much fun really to catch up with fellow producers uh, from all over America. This meeting in particular, public lands ranchers uh, primarily from the West and the West was certainly well represented. And uh, it's also fun to catch up with some of those legends in the livestock industry, one of which you had the opportunity to speak with. Yeah, everybody, as you mentioned earlier in the show, everybody listens when Jim McGagna talks, of course, the executive vice president of the Wyoming Stock Growers Association. And we, we really didn't even have enough time to really break <laughs> the surface with Jim, but he just shared a brief overview of his role in agriculture, livestock production, and being a voice and advocate for, for so many farmers and ranchers, not only in Wyoming, but across the West. As we continue to have our conversations on the road this week from Pendleton, Oregon at the 55th National Public Lands Council annual meeting, we've been catching up with industry leaders from across the nation. Joining us now is Mr. Jim McGagna, Executive Vice President of the Wyoming Stock Growers and a face and name known to many across the West, specifically on issues impacting cattle and sheep producers who graze on federal lands. And, and Jim, as we come here in Pendleton, uh, uh, what's it like? Have you spent a lot of time out in this country before? Or, uh... Well, I really haven't. The only time that I remember, certainly I was out here, was for this same event. The National Public Lands Council met here, I believe, about 13 years ago, and I certainly was at that meeting. Well, uh, as folks know, uh, some may know you just from your role at, at the Wyoming Stock Growers Association or, or the role you play at uh, Public Lands Council meetings, but uh, you've been very, very active, not only on that advocacy front within associations, but you're also a producer and you've served roles as a leader, not, not just in, in an executive position, but uh, with the American Sheep Industry Association and also the Public Lands Council, I guess. Uh, uh, how did you get your start or stay in agriculture from, from being a, a young person in ag and continuing on here today? Well, I got my start, I guess, from the time I was three years old out with my dad, and, and he had a sheep operation that had been started by his dad in 1907. And, and then uh, at a relatively young age, I was still a junior in college when my dad passed away, and I ended up with a sheep ranch. And, and that was my love, and I devoted myself for quite a number of years, about a decade, strictly to 24-7 being a rancher. And then I was enticed to get a little bit involved initially in the Wyoming Wool Growers Association. One thing led to another. I spent time as the president of the National Public Lands Council, followed that with being president of the American Sheep Industry Association, and then moved on to other things, but always keeping those ties. So I had that balance of being a rancher, and being involved in, in policy work. Uh, today, I'm only, I still have my ranch. I basically lease it out for grazing. I don't maintain my own livestock to speak of anymore, but uh, I think that balance is so important. The people I've interacted with in this industry throughout the years, those who have those ties to the land are the people who really understand whether it's political issues, grazing issues, whatever they are, they have that drive and that commitment and that spirit that is so important to managing our natural resources. Now, uh, what you didn't mention either, though, is that you also went to law school during all this. What, I, I guess, 
Uh, was that difficult, though, knowing that uh, you, uh, you had a ranch to run to, but also putting your studies as a top priority as well? well what was, was that like, I guess? Um, I felt, as, as I was preparing, as far as I was concerned, just to come back and be a rancher. But I thought, you know what I need to know about running the ranch out on the ground? I've probably learned that, but it's a business. And what I can learn that would help me, I had an undergraduate degree in business administration, a law degree that those will help me to be a more successful rancher. And if I fail, I've got something to fall back on. Uh, I say to this day that I think I'm the only person who ever graduated from Stanford Law School that when they said, what is your ambition after graduation, and they wanted to be judges, they wanted to be in law firms, this and that, Mine, I said my ambition is to be a sheep herder. And that's never changed. <laughs> well, and you know, you look at that though, how has having, having that law degree helped though in your understanding of drafting policy for organizations like PLC, ASI, Wyoming Stock Growers, or NCBA, but also understanding briefs or lawsuits that maybe come up that impact the livestock industry across the West? It's been extremely helpful to me, even though I don't practice law, so to speak, and certainly not in the technical sense, but I use that law degree in virtually everything I do in policy work and in, in looking at litigation. Unfortunately, most unfortunately, uh, litigation has become so much more a part of our industry on a daily basis, not because it's something we want, but it's because of some of our adversaries that forced us into it. So it, it's been very helpful in that respect. Now, uh, you were just a, a young child when PLC first had their meeting 55 years ago. Is that, that was what you told me, correct? You, uh, you well, I would have been, uh, <laughs> no, I'd have been in uh, high school at the time, and, and I was not there then. I, if I recall correctly, I think that about 1976, perhaps, is the first Public Lands Council meeting that I ever had attended. So I, I missed those very early years. <laughs> I haven't missed too many since. I, I've had about a three-year period that I serve as the, in, in government, state government, as director of the Office of State Lands and Investments. And for that time, I divorced myself from these industry groups, but it uh, didn't take me long to realize government was not where I wanted my future, so I got back out of that and became immediately engaged again with PLC and others. So I, I guess in your involvement from your first meeting there in the mid-70s coming to the Public Lands Council, what are some of the issues that really stuck out there in the 70s and 80s that uh, could be detrimental to the livestock industry, especially uh, federal lands grazing? And uh, what, what, some of the, what are some of those issues that are still around? And what are some of the, the ones that have also been championed? And also, I think in the 90s, that was a big time for a lot of complications in federal lands grazing. But I guess, what issues do, do we get taken care of and, and triumph on? Ooh. And what ones are still kind of sticking around? I think you're asking for the impossible issues we got taken care of. <laughs> Most of the issues that started back then are still there today. Uh, shortly after I got engaged is when FLIPMA, the Federal Land Policy Management Act, was passed that presented challenge to us that we're still dealing with. Uh, I mean, right today when we talk about the latest BLM proposal on conservation leasing, it brings that act into place. Uh, environment, the Endangered Species Act, those all came in that time frame. So I don't know that we solved many issues. One of the ones that I know I was heavily involved in at the time I was in PLC leadership uh, and was uh, the grazing fee. And we were successful in passing the PREA formula. And then uh, with the help of, of President Reagan, we, we 
put something into place, and that's held to this day. And it somewhat surprises me that it's held this well, but uh, so far that's not become an issue. And frankly, I, it concerns me somewhat because I think there are certain radical groups out there today that don't care what our fee is because they just want us off the land. They're not trying to make us pay more. Well, and, and I guess you look at the 90s there, too, where there was an administration that truly did not, or at least an interior secretary, that uh, wanted uh, livestock grazers off of lands. I guess, what what was that Babbitt period like for those of us that, that weren't in the business at that time? Well, that was a challenging period, and, and you know, I, I mentioned the grazing fees, and, and I still recall sitting in an office with Secretary Babbitt, uh, the two of us sitting together, and he made a commitment to me. He said, well, I'm not going to say I won't raise the grazing fees, but I won't do it without letting you know in advance. And within a year, he raised the grazing fees, and I didn't get that advance notice. <laughs> well, and, you know, one thing about it, though, uh, Jim, is, is you understand the importance of producers being involved and, and taking time away from their operations. And... We, we talked about some of those issues, FLIPMA, ESA, the, the grazing issues during the 1990s, and now we have the BLM conservation rule that uh, could really impact uh, producers in terms of what lands could be under those uh, conservation mm -hmm. leases. But uh, how important is it for folks just to be involved, whether that is paying dues, going to a local meeting or a state meeting, because obviously if PLC hadn't been around for that 55-year that period, these issues could have taken over and they could have outpriced that, that grazing fee. Well, having strong organizations is critical and obviously they need the financial support of, of the producers. But I think that alone today is not enough, uh, given so much of the public that's engaged. You know, it's no longer our business, it's everyone's business. And with modern communications and everything, uh, in addition to supporting strong organizations, it's increasingly important that individual producers have a voice and they speak up with that voice because, unfortunately, a lot of this is just counting counting ballots, so to speak. Counting how many speak people commented in favor of something versus how many commented against it. And uh, our, our industry, because our people are busy out earning a living and taking care of the land and their livestock every day, we come in on the short end of that most times. Well, you, you know, Jim, it's a busy time here at the uh, Public Lands Council meeting, but uh, uh, anything else that you would just like to talk about issue-wise or just what maybe Wyoming stock growers is up to on that front and uh, uh, issues that they may be battling or maybe assisting other states on? Well, certainly we have our state issues as well, and we're very engaged in those. Uh, management of state trust lands has been a big issue that's occupied a tremendous amount of my time in the past two years. We've made some good progress there, I believe, but uh, looking at the national level, which is why we're here, I mean, we see the, the conservation leasing and expansion of various critical environmental concern. That comes right back home and in southwestern Wyoming, the Rock Springs BLM district, which is where my ranch is located, just came out 10 days ago with a uh, proposed a resource management plan, which has been 12 years in the making, cost $8.9 million, they pride, proudly advertise, and uh, it's already doing these things. Uh, that BLM district has about 3.6 million acres in it, and they're proposing to put 1.8 million of that into areas of critical environmental concern, which has a whole array of implications for, uh, for grazing, as well as at the same time, 
precluding those acreages from any energy development and a lot of other things. So it's, uh, we hear these broad national policies and then immediately you see where they hit home for, for me, for the people I represent, for people in all these other western states. It's, it's an ongoing battle. Yep. Well, Jim, I want to pre uh, appreciate you taking time and uh, stepping out of these meetings just to uh, speak with us here today. And uh, thank you for everything you do for Wyoming and, and Western uh, states' uh, uh, opportunities to advance the livestock industry. Well, we, we're happy to do that. And we appreciate that uh, you think Public Lands Council and these various meetings I see you at regularly are, are important to the industry and important not only to the industry but to the western states, to our culture, to our way of life and that you show up at all of these, so thank you. Again, so great catching up with a true legend in the livestock industry across the West, Mr. Jim McGagna, a true wealth of knowledge and Russ barely broke the surface, <laughs> that conversation about the role that Jim has played in the success of uh, livestock uh, producers across the West, especially federal lands producers. And I should mention, uh, the location hasn't been set yet, but Western Colorado most likely will be the host for the 56th Public Lands Council annual meeting. So it'd be great to head into Western Colorado, the, the home space of uh, president of the PLC, Mr. Mark Rober, who we caught up with earlier in the week. I should encourage you to go check out the interview with Mark Rober, uh, Vicki Olson, and uh, who else did we catch up with? Uh, so many more. I mean, it's hard. We, we visit with a lot of folks. And I mean, like we said, I mean, next year, who knows where it's going to be. It could be in Grand Junction, Montrose, or even maybe historic Durango. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But again, as I mentioned, uh, we had many conversations this week. Check out our YouTube and Facebook channels for more of those one-on-one -on -one interviews. Sky Krabs, that's the one I was leaving out here. <laughs> and he's from here in this part of the neck of the woods here in uh, Oregon. But uh, again, some great conversations had this week, and we truly just enjoy being able to share these longer format conversations separate from our radio and TV programs and bringing you a little bit different format for Fence Lines and Headlines this week. And again, don't forget to subscribe to us on our Facebook channel and along with YouTube and where we have not only these conversations, but share a lot of our content on the Western Ag Network. So Russ, it's been fun here. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, leave us your comments too when you're visiting on us uh, with our Facebook and YouTube and Instagram pages. We want to hear from you. Unless you're talking bad about us maybe not i don't know <laughs> then we're gonna delete you no <laughs> everyone can comment but ross it's been a great time yeah. here in pendleton and for our friends join us here for fence lines and headlines thank you so much for joining us for russell nimitz paul humphrey on the backside of things here today and the entire western ag network crew reporting from pendleton oregon i'm Lane northland for the western ag network we'll catch you next time mm -hmm.